Bullshit. It's the No Bullshit Marketing Show. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich. Our guest today is Bob Haddad, but first, let's hit the bullseye. The NCAA football national championship game was a classic as Clemson scored the game-winning touchdown with one second left to beat top-ranked and defending champ Alabama. The playoff games were sellouts as our home games for the tradition-rich powerhouse programs. But as a whole, attendance for college football games has dropped for seven straight seasons. Some major conference programs like Kansas of the Big 12 have seen their average crowds for home games drop by 50% over the past decade. This flies in the face of the perception that major college football is a cash cow for universities. Yes, college football, in theory, creates three revenue streams. TV, media contracts, alumni donations, and ticket sales. I guess a fourth would be merchandise. But beyond those tradition-rich few programs, those revenue streams are becoming smaller and smaller. TV revenues down for mid-major and smaller conferences. Ticket sales are down for many universities, which results in a direct bottom line hit due to the unsold tickets, but also indirectly because research indicates that students who don't go to football games are less likely to donate to their alma maters after graduation. How can universities work to change this pattern? Do the marketing intel to find out what would entice prospective and current students to attend games. Bob mentioned in episode one how different his company has worked to reach and influence millennials. That's what universities need to do. They need to do the marketing intel to find out what would entice prospective and current students to attend games. Listen and tweak the product. Find creative ways to engage and interact with students. The intel needs to be done now, and universities need to listen, adapt, and hit the bullseye. The No Bullshit Show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash no BS. Try a book like The Creator's Code, The Six Essential Skills of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs by Amy Wilkinson. You can download it for free today. Go to audibletrial.com slash no BS. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Our guest today is Bob Haddad, Senior Strategic Account Manager at Salesforce.com, Bob spent his career bringing strategic technology solutions to sales teams and organizations throughout the world. In episode one, he talked about his experience at Indiana University of Pennsylvania and the Eberly College of Business and Information Technology. He talked about how he came out and initially had been shoveling asphalt for six months. Then he had a choice between a couple of jobs, and he took the one tied to technology. It was a humbling experience, worked there nine months then took another job and was able to be at Xerox for about 10 years. Later, after another stint at Legion here in Pittsburgh, he landed with Oracle, met Larry Elson and senior managers, and had the chance to work directly with Larry and other key players at Oracle, and now is at Salesforce. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. You're a big uh, sports guy, as I am. What would you think about the point about 
college football and how if people don't attend, they're less likely to donate to their alma maters. Well, I, I can appreciate that. I had never connected that previously, but um, I can absolutely appreciate when you're at a college game and, and it's a good game, great atmosphere, there's a great feeling of belonging. And I think, um, you know, it's an interesting statistic that you pointed out. Bob, I want to spend a time on a number of things in here in episode two, because we got through a lot of interesting stuff, but so much more. So first, I want to spend just a little bit more time on your excitement about being a grad of IUP and the impact it's had on your life. It's It's been pretty significant. Um, the What I learned there certainly um, was a great foundation for my career. Uh, the people I met, though, uh, is uh, has uh, been lasting friendships. Um, I had a, one of my college roommates, Anthony Cherico, was in town last week, and he and his daughter spent the night at the house. And, you know, I, I David Thornberry, who was another roommate, has started uh, a couple of side businesses recently. Also has this little booklet called Silver Bullets uh, for Sales, Silver Bullets for Recruiting. Um, I put together my Silver Bullets for my kids off of his book, um, Keep in Constant Contact. Um, so there's a lot of really uh, great people that I've met throughout my time at IUP that 30 years later, still great friends of mine, and, and, and in a number of cases, professionally have worked with them throughout the years. Western Pennsylvania has so much to offer with the higher education here. There's so many great choices, and IUP is one of them, and it's been great for you and me. Natural segue, you talked a little bit about mentors at your first job and how there were four different mentors who instilled in you some values. But I want to give you the opportunity to spend a little more time on mentors because I believe mentors happen organically rather than sitting out and saying, I'm going to go pick Dave to be my mentor. And they happen organically. They're for different reasons for different parts of your life. And sometimes the mentorship is outgrown, but a friendship remains. Tell me about your mentors and if you want to give any shout outs specifically to anybody. Sure. Um, I did mention earlier at Xerox, I had uh, four key mentors and that's not meant to slight some of the other people because, you know, throughout my career, I've had a lot of people have impact on me. Um, you know, when I think of a couple of those, Jimmy Dugan um, is is one who I never really viewed as a mentor, but he always had these little things he'd say and I'd internalize them. Uh, but really, um, you know, by, by name, Kenny Holes was the guy that brought me into um in, into Xerox and was my first manager, um, moved me from the communication marketing executive, right? Great titles for someone who sold facsimile and voicemail uh, into the printer system division. That, that was really a game changer. And he had a lot of faith in me. Uh, you know, I was 25 and everyone else on the team was in her 30s and 40s. So I was significantly younger than them. And um, Kenny was one. He was my first manager. John Holes was my second man, or John Wartz, I'm sorry, was my second manager. And John really uh, helped me a lot in front of customers. You know, how to, again, sometimes it's hard to ask a tough question, especially when you're 27 at this point and you're sitting there with a 55-year-old, 60-year-old guy who's been in the business for years and years and years. And and actually, one of the things that I learned, um, it, it was a tough moment. When, when I left Xerox, I, I never confided in John that I was being recruited. And I still remember the look on his face when I told him I was leaving. And it wasn't because he was losing a resource or a team member, but it was he felt betrayed would be too strong of a word. But he felt like, boy, why didn't you ever tell me? And I, I promised I would never let that happen again. Uh, but John was a tremendous mentor. And then two other gentlemen, and gentlemen, unfortunately, both deceased, uh, Dick Luffy and, and uh, 
Gil Winkler. These guys were in their 40s. Maybe didn't treat me like a son, but certainly a little brother. And they were they were there all the time to to make sure my spirits were where they need to be. To t- tell me they trusted me. Matter of fact, at the time, Westinghouse before the CBS acquisition, Westinghouse was our biggest customer. Maybe other than ADP, one of our biggest customers in in, in the country. And um, when Gil took a training opportunity at Leesburg, Virginia, uh, he recommended me for the job for Evan Westinghouse, our biggest customer. And I got to tell you, I was like, Gil, I don't know that I want to do this. And he's finally gave me a little bit of time and he came back and said, you're an idiot if you don't. <laughs> and uh, so he was a great mentor, as, as was Dick. And, I, and I've had other great mentors. When I think about Oracle, when we talked about um, focus on the customer, Gary Pola and Mark Krauss are two people that I worked with um, pretty much throughout my whole career there. Um, that were just tremendous people. Mark, Mark, literally, when I joined the company, you know, I was recruited, as I had mentioned, and, and I said, I'm not sure I can spell database, let alone tell you what it does, and and then learned I wasn't going to be selling database. I was on the ERP side. But Mark actually had me fly to Minneapolis and spend a day with me and just just went through things, right? And he was always there really almost to hold my hand in t- hand time. Then we had three very significant wins at um, at while we were at Oracle together. I mean, we had a lot of smaller wins, but very significant wins, and it's no no surprised that Mark was part of all three of those. And then Gary Polo was, um, I talked about the the very large program we ran at, uh, or we were involved in at uh, Elko at the time. And, and Gary was the lead consultant and, you know, they're tough programs. And, you know, he, he just learned a lot by watching him. And then, you know, you know, not that he was a mentor, but, you know, by the time I joined Oracle, I was my late thirties and I thought I knew a lot. Right. But but there was a gentleman that led the program by the name of Kevin Horner, Pittsburgh guy, who, um, boy, it was just tremendous um, what I learned from a customer. Not that he ever taught me, you know, not that he ever sat me down and said, but just, you know, how do you drive things? How do you get things done? Um, th- there was just a lot that I would step back and say, I really learned a lot from him. Is he Maztec? He was. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those people all helped form helped you form your own leadership style and communication style from them mentoring you how have you applied that and how do you mentor well i um i really try to mentor as much as i can um i I think i mentioned jeff fiock earlier um in a different segment jeff uh, and i were fraternity brothers and you know i i remember when we once owned co-owned a business that his wife ran uh 20 years ago uh it was a xerox agency right so xerox was pushing out the cost of sale and i can remember whenever we'd interview people i would say um you know if you're with us in three years i'll be surprised because we weren't built for that we weren't built to pay someone a lot of money right we were built to bring people in educate them train them so you know my mantra has always been i want to see people be successful um i you know i work a lot we have a lot of inside inside sales people at oracle and salesforce business development people they're typically a year out of school maybe up to seven or eight years out of school and my great pleasure is when they move on Right. Because I, I want to see them be successful. And, and I've always been into coaching. You know, um, I coached football for a number of years at St. Sebastian's baseball in the North Hills youth. Um, some of my greatest experiences were when I didn't have any kids on the team. Uh, that was around football. It was really, you know, enjoyable being with kids, mentoring kids. I, I had one of the kids text me over Thanksgiving and say, I've been waiting 21 years to have a beer with you. 
he turned 21 on 9-11. So those kind of things, you know, feel good. Um, and I talk about my professional mentors. I, I'm really remiss in not mentioning my parents and my siblings. Um, you know, my mom, my mom to this day says, has said to me recently, she said, when I was down to my last dollar, I put it in a collection basket. And, and I always got repaid tenfold. Right, very humble, very blue collar, and I, I think that's important because I've been fortunate for what I do. Um, I've been fortunate that I've been successful. I've been able to put my kids through college and three weddings. And but what I try to instill in in my kids is, you know, the, the reason why that kid might be wearing something you wouldn't wear anymore is because maybe that's what they have, right? Because I've been laughed at a thousand times because when I was in high school, I used to. T- I used to write down what I wore to school because I once had a teacher tell me I wore the same shirt two Fridays in a row. You know, I didn't have 30. You know what I mean? So I've, I've always been very sensitive to that kind of thing. And, and again, I've been fortunate. Um, but, you know, it's really important that I continue to remember the lessons that I, I got from my parents. And I, and I mentioned David Thornberry's book, Silver Bullets, and I put mine together. I, I, I wrote it. One of them is, and I said this to my daughter and her husband at their wedding, don't judge me based on my kids. Judge me based on my grandkids because I know I have a value system for my parents that should lead to good kids for me. What's really important is that I teach them well enough, and that's, that, that's a form of mentoring as well. That's Bob Haddad on the No Bullshit Marketing Show. Some heartfelt advice and messaging and background. Moving into... Salesforce. Oh, about seven, eight years ago, I read the book by Mark Benioff, and it explained his vision, his why, his big idea, and it actually became the cloud pretty much because there was no cloud. And I remember when they first started moving things to the cloud, people said, what's the cloud? So then they had a messaging issue. You're now part of Salesforce. You're taking that message across the world, really, and it's made such a huge impact. Talk about Salesforce.com and your vision and how you fit in. Yeah, well, Salesforce is a very um, interesting um, company, and I use the word interesting because it's it's very different than most. You, you mentioned on the cloud front, you know, when Mark left Oracle in late 90s, I think it was 98 and then 99, he took time off. I think it was six months in 99, he came up with this idea of the of the cloud. And at the time, people thought that was crazy. And what's interesting is we've been cloud throughout, right? I mean, everything, all our customers, for instance, sit basically in the same environment, get the same capability. There's three upgrades a year. Uh, so if you're the smallest company with one employee using our technology or some of our customers that have 25,000 users, um, you're, you're getting the same capability. So the, the, the whole cloud concept, was very unique and and you know frankly I remember back at my Oracle days an exec standing up in front of five thousand people and saying the cloud's going to die, and now if you look at you know the main players in technology, be it Microsoft, Oracle, SAP, they're racing to the cloud, right? And that's that's a little different situation because they also have what would be called on-prem, right? You buy the software, you own it, uh, you know, and many customers doing that. So the cloud's unique, uh, but what also is unique is Mark Benioff uh, really gives back a lot. Um, so we have a one 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 philosophy where one percent of our, I think our 
profits, 1% of our time, and 1% of our product is donated. So if you look at most companies, you know, you might be able to matching funds of a few hundred dollars. Ours is 5000 uh, we measure your volunteer hours. If I was still coaching football or baseball, they would give me a check for $1,000 because of the amount of time you know, I spent doing that once you hit a certain threshold. So really focused on that, very focused on people. And some of it's been controversial. You know, in Indiana and in North Carolina, you know, Mark believes that a, a leader in, you know, soon to be $10 billion company really needs to take care of their people as well. So when he saw things that he thought was an injustice um, and it was a little controversial, he stepped in and, um, you know, did some different things. So the, the culture is very unique. Uh, you know, just another example, twice a month, Mark has his top couple hundred. They, they go off site and they meet and we broadcast it, right? Public for everyone to see. You know, he's preparing for his uh, Dreamforce, which is our main convention, 150,000 people. He He's preparing for it, running through it and asking for feedback in the room. Again, very unique, very, very open with a lot of different things. From a technology standpoint, you know, most people think Salesforce is for sales, um, but we do much more than that now. And, you know, we sometimes debate Salesforce might be the wrong name for our company, but it goes beyond sales. It's service. It's marketing. And, you know, you look at service and kind of social, you know, service to me is the new sales. And you think about that. You, know, you get a phone call from a solicitor. What do you do? Right. You have a problem. It could be a huge problem, but it could be I need to know something. You're calling them asking for information with the right systems, which I don't mean, don't mean to sound like a commercial, but the right systems like we have, now that service person can be sharing that information with the salesperson. I don't mean a phone call. I don't mean an email. I mean when that salesperson goes into the system, it's sitting there. Or you can alert them that, hey, check this out. So, you know, we're seeing more and more that the service is, is the new sales. And then when you talk marketing, we do marketing. We do um, – boy, configuration price quote, which most people aren't real familiar with. I won't take you through that. E-commerce and then the Internet of Things, right? Anything that has a sensor, we can measure. And with the analytics today, you can start diving down and really start understanding, you know, your customer and your customer base. And then artificial intelligence today, right? Getting to a point I kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, there's 10 customers that have this product A, five of them have product B telling you right? You should go talk to these other five about product B, not you having to go figure it out, telling you. You have a service call and Sarah sitting to my left is much more proficient at solving problem A than I am. When that comes in, it goes directly to, um, it goes directly to Sarah, right? Those kind of intelligence. So we're doing quite a bit today with those um, capabilities and, you know, and we everything's on a platform. So <clears throat> all our technology sits on a platform as well as we have 3,000 partner apps, right? If we don't have the capability, it sits on our platform. So we're doing some pretty exciting things. We're growing 25 to 30% per year. We expect to hit $10 billion next year. Our fiscal year ends January, so we're at the end of this fiscal. Um, so it's a lot of exciting things going on. Talk about uh, your big idea because at Mass Solutions, we say when it comes to messaging – we have to understand both our why or reason for being and our customer's why or reason for buying. So it goes back to, and I tell this story a lot, read the Simon Sinek book, Start With Why, and I thought it was great. 
believe that CEOs of companies and senior leaders of companies should definitely start with why and their reason for being. But as a marketer, I realize that's only half the story, that most companies have to ask their reason for being their why, but their customers why, their reason for buying. And those answers aren't always exactly the same, but hopefully they're close enough that you can then crystallize that into one big idea, one memorable message or theme that makes an emotional impact on your target audiences. So whether it's for you personally or for Salesforce, what's your big idea? Yeah, I mean, I think it for me it's more personally. Um, for Salesforce, we have um, a lot of other people that are, are driving this. But but from my perspective, it's really understanding why people do things, right? Really getting to know people um, and treating people well. And, you know, I, I've been mentoring in the city school for the past couple of years. And, um, you know, just really trying to help wherever I can. I'm not going to solve every problem. I get that by, by any stretch. But just, you know, trying to be in a, a good influence. And and I think that in this day and age, especially with all the feelings out there, good or bad about President Obama, good or bad about President-elect Trump, people seem to be on one side or the other. And, and I think this is an opportunity because of how hostile the environment has become recently, that we are all stepping back and really stop looking directly in our silo and our silo silo only and start looking at what do we do to make this better, not just complain about our optics of what it is. I like it. A lot of work, but it's just it just seems like like it's so antagonistic these days that we, we have to figure something out. And, you know, and I, I mentioned earlier, I have five kids. And they sit on sit different sides of the aisle. And, and, and today, especially with the way they, they take in their news, I mean, you, you know this much better than I do, right? I mean, I still sit down in the morning and read the newspaper, and I stumble upon three or four articles that would normally be of no interest to me, right? But I'm learning. I'm seeing. Um, today, most of what the data you're getting from a news feed is what you're asking for. Right. Just so reinforcing yeah. your own beliefs. Yeah. And, and I saw someone on 60 Minutes. I can't remember who it was, but he does the uh, focus groups. And he was saying to I think it was Stephen Croft, Stephen Croft, for for 20 years I've been doing this. And I've never seen this kind of a focus group where everybody's news that they get. Well, first of all, the election's two years now. Right. So for two years, you, you as an individual are getting all the feeds you want. Right. The, the, the Facebook feeds, the Twitter feeds, the. The Instagram, everything you're getting is what you're asking for, which further deepens your opinion of what you think is right, which further means that you're not looking at anything else. And, and you know, I thought it was a very and, – and then who trusts the media anymore? I mean, forget fake news, right? But, you know, I said to my wife recently this revelation, <laughs> you know, the Today Show isn't about news anymore. She's like, where have you been? It, it's entertainment. Right, and I still kind of remember the Today Show as it was news. It was cutesy at times, but I don't need to know what um, Kanye West how he reacted to something. Me personally, right? But that's that's what you see out there today. But anyway, I, I just think there's there's so much focus on I want to know what I want to know, and that's where the information comes from, and it's not more broad. Absolutely true. the The problem is that we just reinforce our beliefs. If we watch MSNBC. We're going to continue to be believing completely liberal beliefs. If you watch Fox, you're going to continue to believe completely conservative beliefs, and they're both fake news. They're both not news. Yep. That's the problem. Both of those networks claim to be news when they're entertainment. And if we would just say that, 
That's okay that you like Fox better or you like MSNBC better, but it's not news. It's not reality. It's entertainment. Yeah. And uh, that's a big problem. Yeah. I, I mean, I have friends that are fair, very far on the right and friends that are very far on the left, and I don't want to talk to either of them about anything social or political. I, I don't. And I tell my kids that. If you can't find something good about Trump or Obama, I don't want to have a conversation. And and my my, my middle son actually uh, posted something on Facebook, but it, to your point, it went, if, if you're on, uh, we'll say Huffington Post, if you're reading that, throw it away. And what is it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Throw that away. And it kind of moved in. Right. Here's where MSNBC is. Here's where CNN sits, Fox. Yeah. And it was really kind of interesting. And, and, and the point in that was, you know, if if you're if you're reading that stuff far in the left, far in the right, you're, you're only getting one view and you should probably stop like mm-hmm. yeah, internalizing that. So that's the one thing that I think most people don't agree on, but should is that those are just more polarizing. Yeah. Bob, listeners want to know, do you have a tool, an app, blog, book, or even something that's part of your daily or weekly routine that impacts your life and might help our listeners? Um, boy, now I have a phone. <laughs> I mean, that's so we all do. Uh, my, my kids for years have said, Dad, what do you do other than email and talk on the phone? Right. So, um, no, I, I just, you know, again, I, I was fortunate to, I believe, get uh, well, fortunate. I know I had wonderful parents and siblings and, and external family. Right. I mean, extended family. And and I just try to remember the lessons I learned from them, and pass it on. Uh, that's how I try to live my life. Uh, I tell my kids, treat everyone like you want your grandmother to be treated. Um, and I know that's very hard at times, but, you know, that's the way you treat people. But no, um, my toll was my phone. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I've learned over the last year and a half is I I very rarely use my Mac or formerly my PC unless there's some hardcore core keypadding I need to do because everything today is available on the phone, right? And Dave, to your point earlier, you know, the, the podcast, right? That app's been sitting on my iPhone since I got a year and a half ago. And in 10 seconds, you have me using it, right? It's been sitting there. But there's, you know, all the technologies out there today, and that's it's important to leverage it. Bob Haddad of Salesforce, Salesforce, a strategic sales thinker and technology guy. Thanks for being on the No Bullshit Marketing Show. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you thought I would? Nothing off the top of my head, but uh, it's been a great experience. I've not done this before. Um, a little anxious, as I told you, coming in. Um, hopefully there was some value in what came out of this today, but um, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely value. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us for the No Bullshit Marketing Show. Visit MassSolutions.biz for show notes plus additional marketing and messaging resources. Are you signed up for light reading? Come on, sign up already. You'll receive valuable strategies every week to improve your marketing and transform your message. It really is light, intended to be read in two minutes or less, and it just might trigger bright ideas for you. To sign up again, visit MassSolutions.biz. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and enter your email. Remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea? And build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.